Live from Beit Shemesh and broadcasted around the world, you are listening to the From Entrepreneur Podcast with your host, Nahum Klegman. Interviews and advice from Jewish entrepreneurs from around the world. Listen, learn, be Masliach. Welcome to episode 14 of the From Entrepreneur. And today I have an incredible guest, as all my guests are, but this one is really outstanding, as they all are. I got to say that. But very uh, much welcome to our interview, Hill Fold. Uh, those who may not know of him, you will one day. He is a rising superstar in the tech world, especially in the Anglo world in Israel. We're going to go a little bit into uh, what he's doing now, what he's about. We have some really important, really great topics we're going to cover. So right now, uh, Hill is the uh, CMO. His official position, or one of his official positions, is Chief Marketing Officer of Zula. And uh, Hillel, welcome to the show. Maybe tell us a little bit about Zula. Sure. Thanks for having me. Um, my official position is CMO of Zula, my only official position. You know, I'm helping and trying to advise startups on the side or help the Israeli ecosystem, but definitely uh, my main kind of focus is the CMO of Zula. Uh, Zula is a very interesting company that was founded or that launched at the end of 2013 at TechCrunch Disrupt. Uh, I would say we were probably the only tech company in the history of mankind to launch at TechCrunch Disrupt without a product and win the Audience Choice Award. Uh, we literally did not have a product, nor did we have any marketing budget. We were told a few weeks before the event that we were going. You had no MVP? Um, we had nothing. Wow. It was literally, it was not live. It was nothing. Um, I had like a demo something on my whatever, but yeah, no, it wasn't, it wasn't ready for anything. And, you know, we went there with the kind of thought process that, okay, we'd go, we'd get a great experience. It would be fun, maybe make some good connections, but that was it. And so we, we did go and we, um, we're competing against 80 to 100 other companies in the startup alley. Uh, for those that don't aren't familiar with TechCrunch Disrupt, there's the battlefield, which is the stage on which Mark Zuckerberg, Marissa Mayer, and others are, are judges. And then there's the startup alley, which is basically 100 companies for competing for one slot on stage. And so it really, the thought never crossed our minds that we would win. But sure enough, at the end of the day, uh, Mike Butcher comes over and says, all right, Zula, you guys won. And after we scratched our head for a few minutes, we, I was like, what? So uh, the reality is that, you know, there were a few reasons that we won. Um, first of all, someone told me, I don't, couldn't even tell you who it was before the event, to not stand at your table, but go and work the floor and, you know, go networking, which is what we'll talk about a little bit later, uh, which is what I was doing all day. But also because I think we, we did aim to set out to, to solve a real pain point for everyone. And so when people um, heard what we were here to solve, I think they, they very much identified and voted for us. In addition, we did tweet out a few times to vote for us. We got some nice votes, me and Jeff Bolver and the TechCrunch writers themselves voted for us because they, you know, it's more of a, they view us more as colleagues than, than another company just pitching them. So we won that. We launched on stage and, you know, as soon as we got off stage, basically Microsoft Ventures invested, basically threw their money at us. Yeah, you know, I'm exaggerating. But the point is, it was, it was a very good launch uh, for us. Very unexpected. So what is that pain point and what does Zula solve? So um, basically, if you think about the way teams communicate, any type of team, whether it's a startup or a law firm or a design firm, anybody really, a group of people, they're using, in 2015, they're using email and Skype and Dropbox and Google Drive and WhatsApp and Gchat and the list goes on and on. And that's absurd. You can't really be productive if you need 15 tools to communicate. And think about it, if you want to send me a file right now, you know, you have to spend 10 minutes thinking where to send it, right? Should I send it on Dropbox or Skype or by email? How can you be productive when you have to think about how to communicate? instead of what to communicate. So we aim to solve that and help teams communicate in a streamlined, efficient manner. But as time and history would have it, Slack then launched. <laughs> Slack uh, was uh, the founder, Stuart Butterfield, the founder of Flickr and kind of a, a hot shot. And so they raised $120 million from Andreessen Horowitz and they set, to, set out to, to, you know, make team communication more efficient, which sounded familiar to us. And we were like, you know, in the beginning we were like, okay, let's, let's go head to head. And then we realized, listen, so the bottom line is Zula still exists. It's still in the app store. We have tens of thousands of teams using us and loving it. And it's great. Uh, we did focus very strongly on brand and other things, and it's remaining in the app store, but we are doing something very interesting in the next couple of weeks, kind of taking our core technology and 
I don't want to use the P word pivoting, but we are uh, we are doing something in a different space. Uh, so stay tuned for that. It's a matter of a few weeks. We'll have a beta. Why don't you? Uh, um, we're gonna we're not gonna launch this uh, episode for another week. So why don't you give us a little hint that our listeners know? Another week. Uh, yeah, we won't be live in another week. But uh, the hint is that if you think about the way people share an opinion, everyone has an opinion, right? But to share that opinion, mostly Jews. Well, that's true too. But to share that opinion on <laughs> we the have internet two opinions. Yeah. is not so simple. There's a, there's, a high, there's a very strong barrier here stopping me from sharing my opinion. And this is a perfect example. We're podcasting. We have to be in the same room. You have to all the, have all this equipment, right? And so you know, out of 100 people, you'll come over in, in the street and ask who here podcasts, maybe one podcast, even less. And so podcasting, is, there's a big barrier there. And you know, even um, different forms, of, whether it's blogging or video content or even Meerkat, right? Meerkat's you know, and Periscope and all these live streaming apps. They're great. I love them. I just did a Meerkat here. But at the end of the day, again, if you ask 100 people, how many of you are comfortable going live on video? Very, very small minority are comfortable doing that. And so we're going to hopefully fix that uh, and enable people to actually communicate and share their opinion on the go, on the fly, with no barrier, basically. It's going to be really interesting. That's, that sounds actually really cool, really great, and uh, really needed. So kudos to that. You know, so I, I've known you for a few years, but why don't you Tell everybody about who you are, where you grew up, how'd you get to Israel, a little bit about Hillel Fold the person. So first of all, I didn't grow up, <laughs> but I'm from New York originally. Um, Whereabouts? Came, Queens. Ah. Came to Israel when I was 15, pure Zionistic reasons. Your whole family moved My whole there? family, yeah. And I you know, went through the normal kind of uh, path of, you know, I went to Yeshiva and this is a, from audience, yeah, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. I went to Yeshiva in Jerusalem, and uh, then I went to Hezder Karambiavna, then I went to Bar Ilan, and I studied uh, political science, not because I wanted to be a politician, but because it was an interesting and uh, relatively easy degree. So I did it. I enjoyed it, but I it never, I never, again, from uh, crowds, I could say I never had Havamina to be a politician, but I didn't know what I Still wanted. Still don't. Right. I never knew what I wanted to do. And then one day, someone recommended that I go check out technical writing. At the time, I had no idea what that was, but it's those people that read the documents that no one reads, basically. Uh, you know, you buy a gadget, you get a little pamphlet with it that no one reads. Yeah, I was that guy. So um, I did. I took a course in technical writing, Right Point in Jerusalem. Uh, it was a beginner's course. Right Point, who? That's Paul Stern. Stern. Paul Stern. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it was a beginner's course, and we were told, like, don't go thinking that you're like, you know, a ten-year experienced technical writer right now. You're a beginner, and don't send your resume to irrelevant positions. Literally, the day I finished that course, I saw the Converse company that invented voicemail, invented visual voicemail for the iPhone and many other things, was looking for a 10-year experience technical writer. I was like, all right, I'm going to send my CV. What do I have to lose, right? And so I sent it in. And until today, I don't know why they even called me in. But they did. And they, they put me in front of a screen on which what they called an SME, a subject matter expert, an engineer, basically, is talking to me about the most complex things you can possibly imagine <laughs> in a third English, a third Hebrew, and a third Russian. Basically intended to intimidate me. You nailed it. But because I always loved mobile and technology, the things that he was saying were pretty second nature to me. And I was like, okay. I, so I answered those questions. We were supposed to answer questions. I answered questions and they invited me in for a second interview and a third interview and a fourth interview. And I kid you not, a fifth interview. At the fifth interview, it was basically, dude, you are like super ADHD. Can you really <laughs> sit and write documents all day long? Now, between me and you and your audience, uh, I didn't think I could. I was like, there's no way I can write this boring stuff. But I was like, this is an opportunity of a lifetime. So I said, of course, yeah. So I got that job. And the reality was they had no capacity to train me. It was not a, a trained, you know, it was not a position to be trained. It was just jump in and start swimming. Right. And um, it was scary, very scary. But I, I learned to swim. But I also learned a few lessons over those couple of years that I was at Converse. Number one is I'm sitting at my desk one day and I just finished my user guide. And I'm like, you know, I love writing. I really genuinely love writing. I love tech. I'm like, you know what? This was eight years ago. I'm going to start a blog now. Today, that's much more mainstream and everyone has a blog, but then it was completely not mainstream. And so I was like, all right, whatever. I didn't have any commercial goals. I just started writing. Every day I'd come into work and I'd have my morning coffee and write something. It sometimes would be a thousand words. Sometimes it'd be 300 words. Sometimes it'd be a video, something, some content. 
Uh, and again, I did not have any goals to monetize this. It was not a business thing. It was more of a passion thing. But I would come into you know work every day and I would write. And this is the tech and marketing blog. Correct. And I quickly learned that I do indeed love, love, love writing about technology. I love writing, but not about not technical writing, but about technology. And I learned that technical writing is the most boring thing on the planet. And so there was uh, mass layoffs at Converse, which I was so glad to be part of. And I say that with zero sarcasm because it's the best thing that ever happened to me. I was traumatized at the time. It was my first job. My wife tells me I was a different person for a month, but had that not happened, and this is to all those people out there that you know are maybe going through a rough time and looking for a job or just got laid off, it's hard to see the big picture now. But I'm telling you, if that had happened to me, I would absolutely I would never have gone into marketing. This whole so anyway, that that happened. Then I got recruited by a finance company. Now I'm allergic to numbers, like I am the opposite of a finance guy. And so I said to the guy who recruited me, "Listen, I know nothing about finance," and he said, "You'll learn about the actual subject matter, but we need you to write content." And so I took the job. And I sat there for 30 days, and this is another important lesson. I literally sat there for 30 days, and I just studied the industry. 30 days, I didn't do a thing. Day 31, I started writing articles about. Then it was, it's a word now that's already become a dirty word, but it was forex. forex. <laughs> At the time, it was less <laughs> was of a dirty say, word. Forex. But uh, so I started writing. You know, day 31. You know, five reasons forex is not gambling. Five reasons to trade. Uh, you know, using a web platform. Different, very basic, basic elementary content. Within a few weeks, I started getting emails from people around the world asking me. What currency to trade? And I said, "Oh my God, what is going on here?" And I just realized what hit me is that through content on the internet, you could actually brand yourself as an expert of anything. And I was not by any means an expert on forex. I had very, very basic knowledge, but I started writing content, consistent content, every day. And so then it hit me: if I combine the two lessons, my passion for writing about tech, but really passion, not everyone's like, "Oh, I'm passionate about this and passionate about that." Forget that junk. I mean, really, if you're not passionate about a startup or about tech, then then don't bother. You really need that passion. So I combine that passion and the lesson of Writing content on the internet helps you brand yourself, and the rest is history. So, what happens after Forex? You, how long were you there writing for the company, and then you left? So, I was there for two years, and then I'll never forget the day that Ziv Elul from Interactive, a mobile advertising company, came to meet me and said, "What are you doing in finance? Come to mobile." And I was like, "Okay, that's a no-brainer." So, I joined them um, as originally uh, marketing manager, and. You know, he sat me down on the first day and he said, "All right, we have to reach ten thousand developers in two thousand and eleven. How are you going to do that?" And he expected me to say SEO and PPC and online advertising and yada yada. And I said, "I'm going to start a blog for the company." And he's like, "What does that mean?" And I said, "I'm going to start a blog for the company, and I'm not ever going to talk about the company." And he was like, "Dude, he was like ready to kick me out of his office on <laughs> day one. He was no idea what I was talking about." And I said, "Just go with the flow. It's not the first time I'm doing this. I, I will, you know, let's just give it a chance." Right. And literally within four months, this blog of this company in Petah Tikva is quoted on CNN Money as an authority in mobile advertising. Wow. Which is something that you couldn't even pay a PR agency to do. You know, right. you could, a PR agency will get you coverage, but to be called an authority in mobile advertising can only be done through content. And so I would, you know, come into work every day, like I said, make my coffee and just write about, you know, the mobile advertising or not actually the mobile advertising space, the mobile space. And the blog would reach sometimes three quarters of a million readers a month and was quoted on tech meme, you know, alongside TechCrunch and the next web and, you know, VentureBeat, the interactive blog. It was getting ridiculous. And this was your name behind these articles? Was well, that it part said, of it? I mean, the, you know, I the right. by, but it was an interactive blog. It was, a, it was a company branded blog. Right. And, you know, at the end of the day, uh, it generated both brand awareness and just general branding. But also at the end of the day, we have a conversional funnel. So someone's reading it, just good content. We give them the opportunity to sign up and, you know, download our SDK. It's not like we're working in an abyss and we're saying, no, don't convert. No, obviously. Content itself is objective content. But if I want to convert as someone who's reading this content and is relevant to me, uh, the blog lets that person convert. So I did that for a few years. That was fantastic. And um, yeah, you know, I'd say like a year ago now, I decided kind of had enough and not so into mobile advertising so much. And so I told them, you know, so we, they were actually, it was, it was a good time because they were re readjusting their strategy to go expand in America, more like corporate, you know, marketing. And, um, 
Right. I had enough, so I stayed on as an advisor to the company, and I joined Zula. So now during this time, I mean, we talked about you started to talk about your blog, your personal blog, but you know. In a, uh, mod- I guess in a modest way, Hillel Fold himself has become a brand, right? When you talk about Zulu, when you talk about you know, how you use social media today, how you create your content, how you distribute your content, let's talk a bit about building a personal brand, the importance of building a personal brand. And that's why I asked you if your name was on you know, the content, even though for the company, but it was Hillel Fold writing it, right? So you had your own blog. You're writing for this other blog. You started getting to social media, I assume. You started uh, expanding your own network and building your own personal brand. How conscious were you of building at Hill Fold or Hills uh, Fold on Twitter or building your personal brand or does it something that just sort of happened? So that's a good question. A few things. First of all, it, it was never like a day. I never like woke up one day and said, I'm going to build out a brand. It was, never, it was never like that. Like I said, it really did stem from true passion, not because I thought it was lucrative or I thought anything, but really I was genuinely passionate about technology and I just had an opinion. I mean, I look back at, you know, in Time Hop, the app that shows me what I did a year ago and two years ago, and, you know, seven years ago when I was writing, I was writing like total crap. Like, you know, and even my Facebook and Twitter posts, like they weren't good, but it came from, the, from, a, pa- from a place of passion. So I was just consistent for a long time. I think like one of the pillars of marketing, of good marketing is consistency. Like I really do think, and don't quote me on this. No, you can quote me on this. But I, I think that <laughs> alongside quality is quantity. I really do believe it. I think the web works is, is actually kind of like wired to work based on quantity. I think the fundamental difference between TechCrunch and me as a blogger is that they write more. You know, mm. I'm not saying they don't have good writers. They do have right. good writers, but they just volume, right? I, like Mashable writes like 100 posts a day. So, of course, you're going to get 100 times more traffic than I will. You know, I, th- I really do think that the web works in volume. So, I would just write So, you're saying if you could do – you would take quantity over quality? I don't know about quantity over quality, but they're equal on the web. I, I, I'm, you know, again, I don't – it really depends. Because I know I, I, Aaron Zakowski is very big into quality, even if it's just once a month as opposed to – A blog, a company blog? Yeah. So, I, so he, listen, far be from me. He's an expert, blog. but I, I disagree. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't think a blog – if a blog post a month for a company blog will – literally drive no traffic in my experience. And again, well, I guess it depends on what you're doing. If you're trying to, to build out your company, if you want something that your customer is going to come to and, and look at, you know, you want to have that quality there. As opposed to the goal of the blog is. Right. What is the goal of the blog? If the goal of the blog is to increase eyeballs and to get more traction and more traffic, then once a month is, is, it, not enough. is pretty much of no value, I think. Right. But anyway, so, you know, it was over the years, but I think just kind of, if we're talking on a more philosophical level and that's on a personal, what I did on a more philosophical level, I think that the kind of gap between personal branding and company branding is shrinking every day. And uh, if you look at the, some of the biggest companies out there, the obvious example is Rackspace and Scoble, right? Why does Rackspace pay Scoble to take pictures of himself in the shower with Google Glass and to interview startups and to travel around the world? Why do they do that? They do that because he elevates the brand, right? The point is, I would never have heard of Rackspace had I not been following Scoble's content, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and obviously, Guy Kawasaki did it for Apple back in the day, the evangelist kind of role. A company can talk about themselves all day long, and then there'll be another company that's self-promoting, and that's what everyone's doing. Whereas if they have someone who's their kind of like evangelist who's out there providing value, not selling, but out there providing value and being a thought leader in the space, by extension, the brand is elevated. I think like, you know, I always make the comparison to basketball, right? You know what an alley-oop is, right? So you, yeah. you can pass the ball up and you can take the ball and dunk it or you can pass the ball to your teammates. So I feel like marketing and sales is an alley-oop, right? You elevate the brand as much as you can through valuable content and comes along the sales slash user acquisition slash whatever, however is you're converting and dunks it. But you know, that dunk is that much easier because I came across your brand with all the touch points. I'm reading your blog. I'm following you on Twitter. You know, you sent me a meme for, I don't, whatever it is, I feel something. There's sentiment here. So when I 
do come across your Facebook ad or I come across your salesperson for all like you're on the phone. It's like, oh yeah, I know Zula. I follow those guys on Twitter. Oh yeah, I read that blog. That's a great blog post you wrote. Of course I'll try your product. And not only will I try your product, but the biggest problem in mobile today is retention, right? We all have ADD. Right. So I'm going to download that app and in three seconds, if I don't like it, it's gone. But if I follow you on Twitter and you provide value, you never ask me for anything, but you're giving me those three seconds, they won't, be, they won't turn into an eternity. Eventually, if it's not a good product, then I'm going to delete it. But those three seconds will turn into 30 seconds, 45 seconds. I'll give you more of a chance because I feel something to your brand. And that's really the concept. I think that people always ask me like, you know, when do you tweet for Zula? When do you tweet for, I feel like they complement each other perfectly. If there's a personal brand involved in your company and the company brand kind of like complementing each other and like, you know. Yeah, but when you're going out and you're interviewing a, a startup and or, or you're at Gems and you know, you're showing another gem steak, right? And, or gems beer or, or anything like that. Is, that. is that more the Hill Fold brand or is that part of your job as CMO of um, There's Zula? no, I don't think there's a line there anymore. I think the line is blurred. I, I, is that, so that's what I'm saying because I think that's, that's an incredible concept. I, you know, I guess small companies are starting to do, like you mentioned, Rackspace and right. Zula and others of having that evangelist out right. there that is making noise, that is gathering a following. Because what do you think when I'm sitting with you right now? Okay, I'm sitting with, I'm sitting with a startup and a startup says to me, I'll just give you an example. Her startup says to me, all right, here's my pitch. Pitches me the product. And I say, that is the worst pitch I ever heard. Here's your pitch, right? And he says to me, I say, who are your competitors? And he says, I have no competitors. And I'm like, all right, that's <laughs> ridiculous. Here are your 50 competitors right now. He's like, holy crap, this Hill guy knows his stuff. Right. What is the subconsciously, what's he thinking, whether he realizes it or not, is Hill represents Zula. What's the Zula thing? And, right. and it, I mean, it works. This isn't like hypothetical. It works, right? This has been proven over and over again. I sure. Mean, but the point is, if you're out there providing value as opposed to selling, because people don't like salesmen, especially not on, on social and on Twitter. It's just not the culture. You know, if you're overselling, then it's just, you're, you're labeled a spammer. Whereas if you're providing value, you're giving good content about your space. I'm not talking about writing, you know, if you're selling Barbie dolls, don't write about ballet, right? Write about your space. Be involved in your space. Be a thought leader in your space. But that is absolutely, in my opinion, the way to do marketing today is by providing value consistently. Thereby elevating your brand so that the sales can come and dunk it. You know, and I think that that's genius. And I think that that is really where things are going today. But just to point out differences, it's not Zula that's giving good content. It's a specific person. And whether it's Hillfold with Zula or it's, you know, uh, Scoble with, with Rackspace or any other company out there, if you have that person, it's got to become, you know, people sell to people and people buy from people. And you need to build that relationship. And having a specific person as your, as you said, it's not a spokesperson, so to speak. No, not at all. It's an evangelist for the company that's going out, doing his thing, creating value, creating content, doing networking, which we're, we're going to talk about in a minute. And then that is just automatically going to funnel up to the brand and company behind the person. You know, Glide, Sarah does, I mean, she's not a salesperson, but you know, she's this cool kind of personality on the web that's viral that everyone follows. And it's like she, her name, her brand is associated with Glide. Just like my name, anywhere my name appears on the internet, Zula is right next to it. Right. So I could get on the phone or I could you know, get on Twitter and say, download Zula, we're the greatest. Or I can say, here's a great blog post about messaging. Here's a great blog post about whatever trend. And under my name, it's CMO of Zula. I, I mean, I see this 100 times a day. Somebody follows me on Twitter. Within 10 seconds, they're following Zula. Why? Because next to Hello Fold, it says CMO of Zula. Right. So it's like, okay, this guy's a value. What's Zula? Because he represents Zula. No, it's brilliant. So it's, it's subtlety, it's, right? What's right. the difference between sales and marketing? Both sales and marketing, at the end of the day, are selling you something. At the end of the day, marketing needs to convert, right? What's the difference? What's the fundamental difference between like, obviously, one's short-term, one's long-term. That's already more like, you know, tactical difference. What is the fundamental difference? I think it's one word, subtlety, right? It's saying it without saying it. Sales is, here's a pair of sunglasses, buy it. Marketing is, here's a blog post about sunglasses. And by the way, I also sell sunglasses. 
Right. right? It's about subtlety, which is uh, ironically, I would say not a coincidence, a word that does not exist in Hebrew, the word subtlety. <laughs> is that true? <laughs> yeah. I mean, the closest word is probably mi'udan, which doesn't exactly translate. And I think that that's not coincidence. You know, right. we are startup nation because we're doers. We don't play games, right? Right. In other words, uh, someone once told me that the difference between an average American and an average Israeli is that, you know, you ask an average American, what do you want to say on your tombstone? Most people would say, I want to be a good person. An Israeli, I don't want to be a friar. <laughs> it's like the worst thing, right? In America, you put on your blinker. It means slow down to right. the next person, right? What does it mean in Israel? Speed up. Speed up. <laughs> like, why would I let you in my lane? I'm not a friar. So that's why we're startup nation. We don't let anyone in our lane. On the other hand, when you're doing marketing, you need to tell a story. You need to not focus on the instant ROI. You need to think long term. And that's not exactly an Israeli trait. And subtlety is not exactly an Israeli trait. So that's why maybe I've, uh, you know, quote unquote, succeeded in what I'm doing because I don't think there are many people in Israel that get the whole concept of subtlety. Right. And I think that's an important note to our listeners out there that, you know, it, like if you haven't started writing content, if you haven't started, uh, putting quality out there and doing this type of uh, subtle uh, marketing or, or branding, uh, probably storytelling. now storytelling. Now is the time to start. Whether it's blog posts or social media posts or giving over. And when we say social media posts, we don't just mean you know copying someone else's URL and putting up there, but actually creating valuable content and creating conversation. And the barrier is lower than ever. I mean, you can literally hit stream and you're live producing content on Mar- Meerkat in twenty in ten seconds. You're live. Right. There's content. So produce content and don't just be another, you know, everyone's talking about social media. It's like, I need to be on Twitter. What are you, what are you doing on Twitter? You're just there for the sake of being there. You're just another company making noise. Then don't bother. But if you're there producing really valuable content for the people that you are trying to target, then it's tremendous and super powerful. You need to think not just don't just like follow. I need to be on Twitter. No, you need to be on Twitter doing something valuable. Right. And I guess even if you're not working for a company yet, if you have your own personal brand, you want to uh, be able to start gathering a following so that when you do take a position with a company, oh, whether it's your own or someone else's. Absolutely. absolutely. I always say this, that uh, unfortunately, entrepreneurs in general miss the train. They think I'm going to launch a product and I'm going to start sending out messages to my friends saying, like my page, retweet my stuff. You need to build out that network six months before you need it. Once wow. you need it and you need those downloads, if the network's not in place, then you miss the train. Wow. Wow. Very important advice. Okay. Let's talk a little bit about, uh, and this transitions us into networking because as you mentioned, you go and you interview startups uh, and you're meeting people all over the place. So how do you define networking and why should an entrepreneur always be building their network? And let's talk about best ways to network today. Yeah. So I think it's all about, literally all about relationships. Anything you're trying to achieve, not only as an entrepreneur, but in general, it's all about relationships. You said it before, you do business with people, right? Even enterprise companies. I met with an enterprise company the other day and they're doing full-blown content, social strategy. I mean, this is company that's selling products for a million and up. And still they're doing this. So I think that it's really all about every single thing with almost no exceptions that I've ever accomplished in my life and my career has been a direct result of content and relationships. Everything, every interview that I've done. And, you know, I would say it would be very uh, difficult to find an entrepreneur that reached out to me and I said, no, I'm not willing to meet or I can't meet or I have no time to meet. You know, on the other hand, the flip side is that when I offer to help entrepreneurs for free, my schedule is booked for the next three months, like lunches, which is fine. But I'm happy to help. But the point is, you know, an entrepreneur reaches out to me, whether it's on Twitter, whether it's whatever it is. First of all, I'm a big fan of meeting smart people just in general. But, you know, it's so important. Not only because you, you, don't, you don't know where you're going to meet them again. Forget all the stuff of be nice on the way up. You might meet them on the way down. I don't, that, that's true. But right. that's not what should drive you is, again, the Shema. You should really understand the importance of meeting people in your network, building out your network, and just building relationships because it all comes from relationships, right? Whether you're talking about PR, talking about investors, right? People say VCs don't want to meet people. VCs want to be introduced to people. Same thing with journalists, right? Yeah, you can hire a PR agency or you can build that relationship yourself with the journalist. Because right. what's a PR agency? I mean, put aside the PR agencies that really are super professional and actually help you kind of wrap the story and do everything. I'm not talking about that. 
90% of PR agencies are about basically reaching out to their network and asking them to cover your startup. Right. You can do that yourself. The barrier is as low as it's ever been. So absolutely, I would say, you know, I'm not going to quantify it, but a serious percentage of your time as an entrepreneur should be spent building out your network and building relationships with people. No question about it. So as you said, even six months before, a year before, you never know when it's going to come in handy. Oh, absolutely. I'll tell you that uh, without mentioning names, the company, or I should say a friend of mine from Yeshiva reached out to me probably six years ago and says to me, I have a friend who has a startup. I'd love it if he, he actually, well, I think he said, I'd love it if you gener- help him generate buzz. I'm like, all right, what does that mean? Like, what can I do? Really? So bottom line is he showed me the product and I was actually really, really did like it. And I blogged about it. And I got him a few hundred signups and he was super happy. And he says to me, all right, I want to hire you on retainer to write my blog for my company. I'm like, dude, you don't even have a product. It was, was <laughs> year. bottom line is I, this guy happens to be, you know, a very wealthy individual and he had the resources to, um, you know, he was able to hire me before he had a product. But basically once he flipped that switch on his launch, he right. had hundreds of thousands of users because he had built out that network three years before. Now, again, most startups can't afford to do that, but do not start building your network when you need the downloads. No one's, you, you know, you open a Twitter account and say, oh, download my app. Who the hell are you talking to? No one's listening to you. Right. Spend six months building out that network by providing value so that when you do say, download my app, people hear you and listen to you. And now a word from our sponsor. Do you have a website that runs on WordPress? If you are like me, you want the peace of mind knowing your website is up to date, secure from viruses and hacks, and will always be up and running at peak performance 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I was also tired of paying developer hundreds of dollars every time I just wanted a few tweaks to my website or to add a new product to my e-commerce site, but I couldn't even justify paying for even a half-time developer. That is why I became part of the founding team of WP Milk. WP Milk monitors and secures a website and backs it up daily in the cloud using Amazon S3. If your site goes down, we know about it instantly and work directly with your hosting company without you getting involved. Need to add a page to your website? Keep your plugins updated? How about creating a custom form? With WP Milk, you have unlimited email support and site tweaks to always keep your site running smooth and feature-rich. For less than $5 a day, you can have your very own professional WordPress team at your fingertips, giving you all these features and much more. At that price, how can you afford not to? You have zero risk with our 30-day no-questions-asked money-back guarantee. So visit WPMilk.com right now and sign up for updates and you will get a special discount on launch. And now, back to our show. What tools do you use actually to monitor that? Like, you know, if you're building a relationship, let's say you took the PR agent, right? Or someone that works for like, like you have someone that you follow on, um, you know, that, that writes for, uh, I don't know, TechCrunch or something, right? And you want to add value to him. You want to, you know, um, make your, you know, get your name known to him so that when you do come to him six months down the line, he'll know who you are. You know, just by tweeting to him, just by liking his stuff, or do you actually have to? No, so I'll give you an example. I mean, it really is, you know, I think when you're good at something or when you do something regularly, you kind of take it for granted. So maybe to me, it's so obvious and other to others, it's not, but I'll, I'll just say it really is common sense. It really is what you do offline, do online, and what you wouldn't do offline, don't do online. I'll give you a perfect example. Mark Andreessen, who obviously is a legend, the guy who invented the web browser. You he's, met him or you spoke to him? Yeah, so I'll, I'll tell you the story here. Yeah. So he's seriously a legend. I mean, no. one of the top legends in tech for sure. One of the biggest VCs out there invested in any company you can imagine. Uh, and I wanted to build a relationship with the guy. He did not know me. I did not know him. I said, I'm going to build a relationship with this guy. Followed him on Twitter. He would ask, you know, I'm just giving an example, obviously. He would say, you know, what color shirt should I wear? I would answer him. What should I eat for lunch? I would answer him. You know, is there a bubble? I would answer him. Just ongoing, just communication, building a relationship. Then sure enough, one day, I get a little notification. Mark Andreessen has followed you. Because I've engaged with him so many times and he already recognizes my avatar. And now I'm another person. He's like, okay, this is a human being. He's talking. He's nice. He's smart. Obviously, if you have nothing, no value to say, no, no value to add, then that's a different story. Right. He followed back. So then I reached out to him and I, you know, I wrote him privately and I said, listen, Mark, I got to tell you, I'm a huge fan, blah, 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 blah. I've interviewed the following people. I would love to interview you. So he says, let's do it. 
And I was like, all right, so I'll send you the email. I'll email you the question. He's like, no, let's do it on Twitter. I'm like, you mean like direct message, like privately message you the question? He's like, no, let's do it publicly. Now, <laughs> when, when you interview Mark Andreessen publicly, that means probably millions of people are seeing it. Right. So I interviewed him. You know, I shot him a question. He shot me the answer. I shot him a question. He shot me the all public. It was that day. I got more followers than ever. And uh, I promised him 10 questions. And then the 11th question, I was like, it was just going so well. I couldn't stop. I was like, all right, bonus question. When are you opening an office in Tel Aviv? And he gave me a scoop. He's like, we have a one office rule. But as soon as we break that rule and we open another office, our next office is in Tel Aviv, which was huge. Wow. So like 10 seconds after it ended, VentureBeat reached out to me. Like, we, we published that article. I was like, yeah. And I became a contributor to VentureBeat. I started writing for VentureBeat. All from building a relationship with Mark Andreessen. Amazing. Just for one example, and many, many other examples. Steve Wozniak is another example. Just an unbelievable story. Well, years, tell us about that. I mean, he, yeah, he's so a years and years, of and years ago, right? Years and years ago, I said to myself, Are you an Apple evangelist? I mean, uh, I'm a big fan, yeah. So years and years ago, I said to myself, I'm going to start interviewing people. A strategy. I really want to interview people, both to learn from them. A, B, when you interview someone, you know, popular, they're going to tweet about it. That's going to get you more traffic. Let's not, you know, kid ourselves. Why do you think I'm doing this podcast with you? Yeah, that's funny. (laughs) So C, uh, you know, it was was really just for good content and for value to my readers. So I really made a list of the top dogs. I mean, I'm talking Marissa Mayer, Mark Zuckerberg, Steve Wozniak, and others. And I said to myself, as I'm writing this list, okay, there's no freaking way you're going to get even half of these. So till today, I've interviewed Guy Kawasaki, you know, obviously Scoble, uh, Dennis Crowley from Foursquare, you know, Alyssa Milano, the actress, uh, Jerry Ryan from Star Trek, like unbelievable people. And Steve Wozniak was at the top of my list. Steve Wozniak founded Apple with Steve Jobs. He's unbelievable. He's just unbelievable. There's no other word. And so I said, I want to interview this guy. And I really kind of laughed at myself as I said to myself, I want to interview him. I'm like, there's no way this is ever going to happen. But I said, I'm going to do it. And so slowly but surely started engaging with his content more on Facebook and on Twitter because on Twitter, he's more like into Foursquare check-ins. If you'll ever follow him on Twitter, you'll see it's all Foursquare check-ins. Right. Facebook, he's really active. Slowly but surely, we started, you know, I just started engaging, liking his stuff, commenting, but not just commenting for the sake of commenting, but actually trying to like provide value. Again, I know I keep saying that and it's becoming cliche already, but he asks a question, I answer. He says something, I give my, but really genuine, tried, at least insightful stuff. Sure enough, uh, after, I don't even remember how long, he friended me on Facebook, which was Wow. Awesome. That must have been uh, yeah. so surreal. I, so I wrote him a message off of, right away. I wrote him a message. Listen, you know, obviously a tremendous, tremendous fan. Would love to interview you for my blog. He's like, all right, let me think about it. I'll get back to you. Two weeks later, Steve Jobs died. So that wow. was the end of that opportunity. And he was like, I can't. You know, the news is everybody's all over me. Sure. They're driving me nuts. So we, we can't do this. So I said, fine. You know, I'm sorry. Was he for close with Steve till oh, the end? Of course. Yeah. Like brothers. So uh, I said, you know, I'm really sorry for your loss. And that was the end of that. And I didn't, obviously, it's all about not being quote unquote persistent without being annoying and being yeah. respectful. So I said, I stepped back fast forward a year and I pinged him again. I said, you know, I would love to have that interview. He's like, you know, I just really can't, whatever. Fine. Fast forward a year, tried again. I think after three or four years that I was uh, once a year, I'm not bothering the guy. I email, I, I message him on Facebook once a year. I say, you know, I really would really mean the world to me. I was trying to be as genuine as I really was. It really wouldn't. In other words, I was that I wasn't saying it would be the world to me to try to convince him. Really? I was very excited about doing it. Bottom line is he finally said, let's do it. I was like, through the roof happy. I sent him a few questions by email. He responded like amazing answers, like really insightful answers. And that was awesome. Great. Fine. Fantastic. Fast forward three months. Wozniak's coming to Israel for 24 hours. I was like, there's no freaking way I'm not meeting the guy. <laughs> so we met in Tel Aviv lobby of the Intercontinental, I believe it was. Yeah. And, uh, you know, bottom line is I, you know, I'm waiting for him and I'm trembling. I'm meeting the founder of Apple. I'm trembling. <laughs> a guy comes down with his like dirty laundry. He brings it to the reception. He's like, can you do my – I was like, this guy's a human being. He's like, I'll do your laundry. Yeah, like, you know, but really, it occurred to me like, you know, I think of him as this like legend, but he really is just a human being. He's a down-to-earth human being. So we sat in the lobby and we moved for like a good hour and a half, two hours. Are you kidding me? He was there for 24 hours and you yeah. got two hours yeah. of his time. It was shows. unbelievable. And uh, I interviewed him on video and that was an amazing opportunity. And since then, we're, you know, I posted – it was funny. A few weeks ago, it was the year – 
since I interviewed him. Right. So I posted on Facebook because I got it in Time Hop. I, I posted on Facebook. I wrote something like a year ago today was the highlight of my career. I interviewed Steve Wozniak. Within, I kid you not, 30 seconds of me posting that, yeah. he writes in the comments, meeting Hill was a highlight of my life too. Now, <laughs> so, right. So obviously, he's Steve Wozniak is the nicest guy in the world. He's saying he clearly really doesn't mean sweet, that, though. which is fine. But it, the, the fact that Steve Wozniak, here's the lesson though. Here's the lesson. It's guys. very humbling also of him. Right? Yes. But here's the lesson, right? So all this is great. And everyone who's listening is probably thinking, okay, because you have a lot of followers. You can, here's the lesson. I'm sitting in my house in Bay Chemish, guys. All right. Honestly, I built this from nothing. I didn't do anything magical. I, I just built out relationships. If you think that I did something magical here and you're not able to achieve this, you're completely wrong. I'm sitting in my house in Bay Chemish and I'm building these relationships. I'm not there. I'm not face-to-face. You can do this from wherever you are in the world. I'm sitting in my house you know, in Bay Chemish a few years ago. I get a push notification. Alyssa Milano is following you. Alyssa Milano from Who's the Boss? I don't know if you're familiar. She's like you know, 40-something years old. I'm she's sure none of our millions. listeners know who she is. No? I'm kidding. I don't okay. know. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, she's millions and millions of followers, huge geek on Twitter, and I've been following her for years. And then she followed me, and I, said, and I wrote her a message, and I'm like, you know, pardon my whatever, but what the hell? How the hell did you come across me? Like, again, I'm sitting in my house. How did you? So she said to me, on Twitter, every freaking day, retweet Hill's Fold. Retweet Hill's. Someone keeps tweeting your blog post. And I'm like, who is this Hill of Fold guy that writes such good content? And I clicked on your bio. I'm like, oh, he's a cute picture. He's smiling. He seems nice. He has a funny bio. He seems like a nice guy. I followed him. So I said, fine, that's fantastic. Now, how does that help my life? You know, how does that in any way? You know, it's cute. I could right. say this amount of followers me on Twitter, but what does that really do? Not much, right? right? Fast forward a year and I get a press release from an Israeli company about a startup that they have. And I, I liked it and whatever. It was a whole long story, but I wrote a blog post about it. And I tweeted that blog post. She retweeted it. Some Arab sheik in Saudi Arabia with 50 million followers retweeted her. Their servers in Haifa melted. Are you kidding me? The whole entire company launched from one tweet just because she retweeted me. So wow. it was nice that, you know, I built a, it was a, a, literally an entire company launched because of the fact that she followed me. So the point is, you never know where any of these, but if you don't write this content and if you don't build out those relationships, none of these things could ever happen. You know, last summer I was driving on the alone in the highway in, in Israel and there was a, an alarm. It was a rocket from Gaza. And, you know, we all pulled over to the side of the road. And we were all used to it already. But right. it was a very surreal scene because all the cars on the road were parked sideways. This is the main highway of Israel. And we were all, you know, walking to the side of the road, taking our time. There was this one woman there who was petrified. Clearly, it was her first kind of, you know, Experience rocket situation. Her, yeah. And, oh, by the way, side point, we had a rocket uh, siren when I was meeting with uh, Wozniak. I brought him to a bomb shelter. Oh, first really? First bomb shelter. It was crazy. But anyway, so we're standing on the side of the road, and this woman was like, Pet, she's shaking. So I took out my iPhone. You I saved his life. No wonder he yeah. you know, he So I took a picture of this woman on the side of the road, and I tweeted that picture. That picture got 1,200 retweets. got picked up by Mashable, by BuzzFeed, by Times. It got like 50 to 60 million views from wow. one tweet. Why was I able to do that? Not because I have 30,000 followers. 30,000 followers doesn't equal 50 million. There's no correlation here. The reality is it all takes this one person who – it was powerful content. That's it. Powerful content goes very, very, very far. 30,000 followers is irrelevant you could have one follower. One follower retweets it, and that one follower has one Alyssa Milano following them, and it's game over, right? So the whole thought of, yeah, you have a lot of followers, that it's not true. Get on Twitter, produce content, build out that network, and you can disguise the limit. And also people that, you know, just to point out, and it's, this is incredible content and really incredible stuff that you're giving over here, so thank you for that. Sure. But the, you know, people think they see Hilliful that come across his Twitter account or see someone that he's interviewed. And you're right, people have that perception of, yeah, the guy got lucky. He was working for a company and he, you know, and after a year, he's already, uh, you know, being, you know, getting all this uh, press and, you know, retweets and all that stuff. And as you're saying, that's not true. It took hard work. It took years. Oh, yeah. I years mean, sometimes. First of all, I don't, first of all so, anybody who follows me on Twitter knows that I'm up at 3.30 every morning. Literally. Like I'm, I'm already, you know, flipboarding and tweeting at 3.30 in the morning, reading content, trying to f- get up to date on what's going on. I don't sleep much. But yeah, I've been, you know, for years and years and years, my dad would like, uh, 
you know, would help me at the end of the month because I wasn't making any money from my blog. And everyone around me was like, what are you doing? Why are you meeting startups and not taking money? Why are you blogging and not monetizing? Why are you mentoring at Google and not charging them? And I said to everyone, like, listen, I'm, I'm thinking of building something much bigger than mo- taking 50 shekels from a startup and meeting for lunch, you know? Right. At the end of the day, you know, thank God now I'm kind of quote unquote seeing the ROI and, you know, I'm working my butt off, but I'm okay. The point is for years and years when I wasn't, I wasn't making money from what I'm doing, I, I just followed my heart. Like really, I know that sounds corny, but I followed my passion, honestly. I wasn't making anything from it. Really incredible. Really incredible. You know, one of the things that really impresses me most about you, and I know you've mistakes. seen me say this. Mistakes, huh? <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Besides the stakes, that really gives me chills when I see it. Um, and really, it's, uh, you know, we talk about, you know, what you could do with your network and what you could do, you know, the relationships you could build. But one of the things that you are also known for, one of the things that I love most and inspires me the most is you're getting people jobs. And in Israel, for Anglos especially, it's not so easy. And being that you're also an extremely busy guy working for companies, doing all these things, yet you have gotten jobs for over a hundred different people. And I know that you, you always write how incredible that feels and is the best feeling in the world. But I mean, to me, that's like the most inspiring part of who Hillfold is. So how did that get started? When did you realize that Hey, this is something you're actively doing, and just like tell us about that. So tell yeah, us about I would say definitely out of all the different, many different things that I'm busy doing. By the way, I have five kids at home. In addition to all this, you know, definitely getting people jobs is for sure. You know, the most enjoyable and satisfying thing out of everything. How did it happen? Can't even tell you, but I'll tell you that you know you're up to 101 now. 104, man. Come 104. On. Come on, I gotta keep up. <laughs> yeah, I would. You know, I would meet companies, I would meet entrepreneurs, and I would just start making you know the match, and it just slowly but surely happened. And then I was like, all right, I'm going to make this a much more kind of formal thing. And I put it on, on Google Drive. On my Google Drive, I have a directory of you know, 20 folders of you know admin, COO, you know, HR, IT, et cetera, et cetera. And in each folder, anywhere between 20 and 150 CVs of people looking for jobs. And so when a company, the truth is that at this point, it takes very little effort on my end. Today alone, I think probably 20 companies today literally today, wrote me and said, I'm looking for this position. All I did was take a copy, a link and send them the link to that folder. Putting together that, that directory took me years and yes. years, but now it's already very, very simple. I just literally send a link, say, go, you go through it. You know, they say to me, I need a, you know, a full stack developer. I'm like, listen, I don't, I don't filter down. I'm not, a, I'm not a headhunter. I have my tech folder. It's all developers. Some of them are iOS. Some of them are Android. Some are full stacks. You do the work, you know, but here's right. the folder. And for them, it's like, instead of paying a headhunter, you know, full salary, they're getting this for free, which you know, it might cause some animosity, I think, maybe in the world. <laughs> and by the way, PR is the same story. Like I'm helping startups. I'm not doing PR, but I'll make an introduction to TechCrunch, make an introduction to you know the next web, whatever it is. I'm not taking anything for that. And so I guess I know that some PR agencies are upset about that also. What am I going to tell you? You're not going to help people because, you know, whatever. So the point is, uh, right now I have this, I'll show it to you. It's it's crazy. Too bad we're not on video. I could show this this directory. It's wild. You know, my, my marketing folder. The link is in the uh, show notes. Well, I can't. Show I'll me pictures of public because there's things that are... There are some CVs in there that I can't, people aren't allowed to know. Like, show me the, the folder. Yeah, I, really no, I can show you the screenshot for yeah. sure. But it's it's crazy. I mean, the, the marketing folder has probably 200 CVs in it. The, the and you know all these people or? No. So I don't know. No, I don't know. Majority of these people. I say if a guy out there today wants to get a job, he's living in Israel. First of all, is it specifically Anglos living no, in Israel? No, not at all. It's, it's specifically tech. It's tech, tech in Israel. Yeah. Uh, you've gotten people jobs in New York, but yeah, it's in Israel Mostly basically. Israel. Somebody writes me and says, I'm looking for a job as product. I say, all right, send me your CV. I look at the CV. If it's not horrible, then I'll put it in the folder. Well, wow. I'm not by any means filtering it and, you know, doing due diligence on these people. I can't, obviously I'll never get anything done, yeah. but, uh, I will look at a CV and that's not a trivial thing because I'm getting a thousand CVs a week. I will glance at it and say, you know, no, this isn't good because X, Y, and Z, like I'll give you an example. I was just talking to someone about this this morning. You know, for example, I have all these CVs and if the, your name isn't in the file name, then I have no way to know who it is. So when a company says, send me a good CV, I can't send your CV. Cause I don't even, it says, you know, if the name of your file is CV, 
I don't, so Nate, it should be your first name, dot your last name, dot PDF. It should be a PDF, not a doc. I don't want other people editing it, right? Right. You should try to get it on one page. Uh, these are things that I tell people all the time. You know, I, I definitely don't spend you know, 20 minutes on each CV. I'll never get anything done. But right. when someone sends me a CV, I'll glance at it and say, send it back again as a PDF or send it again as one page. And then I'll put it in the folder. And then when someone says I need a biz dev position, I'll send them the biz dev uh, folder. And how should people send you their CVs? If, uh, Just uh, it's Hillsfold, H-I-L-Z, like zebra, fold, F-U-L-D, at Gmail. Okay, I'm gonna just, put that in the show. But just also. keep it, keep it super short. Don't send me a McGilla. Send me a. a I'm, hi, my name is so and so. I'm looking for a product position. Here's my CV. That's all I need. And uh, just to, to you know, uh, again, the mitzvah involved in getting someone a job is the highest form of tzedakah, according to the Rambam. I think everybody could agree. You know, when you get somebody a job that they can now support their families, right. it's the best feeling. It really is the best feeling because I'm, I'm, you know, I think about the family, right? I mean, that's what gives me like real joy. I mean, this is a family that can now support themselves because I spent five minutes sending a CV. Really, I don't mean to whatever belittle it, but it's really not very difficult on my end. All you do is send a link. But the no, point but, is, but like we mentioned before, this didn't happen in a right, week. Right. This is from years and years right. of you networking and getting right. your name out. Which is and an interesting point, by the way. It's funny that you say that because I think that most people, a lot of people don't maybe realize that they see kind of like the fruits you know, of the labor, but they don't realize how much labor went into it. They're like, you know, I'll give you a perfect example. We're talking about marketing. You know, How many times a day do you think I get, please like my page? You know? <laughs> Why? Because they're saying, this guy has a big network. Let's you know, hitch a ride on his network. But what they're right. really saying is, in essence, what they're saying in essence is you spent all these years building out your network. I'm too lazy to do it myself. So just go spam your network now. Like, I'm, why would I like a page again about ballet when anybody who follows me knows that I'm not into ballet? They're going to realize in two seconds. Are you that, anti-ballet? Is that uh, what you're saying uh, here? Hello. Uh, you know, kidding, I don't know. I'm really. giving uh, <laughs> anything. But the point is, you know, it's, it, that really upsets me, to be honest. Right. And I get that a hundred times a day easily. It's crazy. And I, I actually wrote a blog post about that exact topic. I called it, for the love of God, stop sending me a relevant Facebook page. And I send it to people every day. And they're like, no, it's not irrelevant. I'm like, dude, just, you know, don't ask people for likes. Give me a reason for like your content. That was the whole concept. You know, I think Jared Morganister, you know him? He's a, yeah, sure. He's the one that bu- I actually met him in the right, so I think, Facebook about 10 years right, ago. So he's the guy that came up with the like concept. Oh, did he? Yeah. I think the, He's I think, a likable guy. He's a really yeah, great guy. Yeah. The concept is like pretty, you know, logical. It's like... If I like content, then I want to be able to share that emotion and like it. What did marketers do? They ruined it. Like they ruin everything. We. Right? <laughs> it's like it's like what you know. I'm going to beg you for likes. No, give me a reason to like it. Give me some value, and I'll click like. Right. Don't beg me for liking your crappy content. It's the opposite. It's what happens. You know. Sure. Well, you know, as we're winding down this interview, I mean, it's really been incredible content and uh, it has really great stuff. But uh, let's just ask, you know, I'll have you here ask you a couple more questions. One, what would you say is the best advice you've ever received? And from who? Best advice you ever received. Oh, wow. So I couldn't tell you from who because I don't remember who said it. I know you're supposed to say Bashem Omro, but uh, you know what's interesting, by the way? Yeah. We have a firm audience, right? Yes. So everyone quotes that. Who said it? Who said it? No one knows. Isn't that ironic? Pretty ironic, right? No, it's a Gemara. Yeah, but who said it? What's the name of the rabbi that I said that? No, no one knows. Everyone says, no one knows who said it. <laughs> like, okay, really? Come on, people. So I don't even remember who said it, but I read somewhere. But I will tell you in a minute the best advice I ever got, and this is actually very relevant to your audience. But someone said, you have two ears and one mouth. Use them in that ratio. Hmm. Listen twice as much as you talk. talk. Or um, someone else said, a talk is cheap because supply exceeds demand. 
which is smart. <laughs> but I'll tell you, really, honestly, the most, uh, and I, maybe this is getting a little too philosophical or maybe too from, but. No, it's a great place. That's this what we're is, here this for. is actually beautiful. I, I was at a little men's club here in Beit Chemish on Friday, pre Shabbos men's club that we do every Friday. Right. And they asked me to give a Torah, and I was like, I don't have a Torah, but then it, it hit me all of a sudden, right? This week's Parsha, and again, I don't know, this isn't a Torah podcast, but I'll say it. No, anyway. we always go into Torah. Torah. Yeah, this is, we have a So this week's Parsha, this last week's Parsha. If you're ever going to give a, give a uh, Dvar Torah on so, a podcast, this is it. So this, this, is, this is actually, it is Torah, but it is, I think, at least life-changing advice. I'm serious. This week's Parsha, we had the man, right? You have bread that tastes like anything falling from the sky, right? And what did B'nai Israel say? We're sick of this crappy bread. Are you kidding me right now? <laughs> It's the, it reminds me of the Louis C.K. video. Everything's amazing and nobody's happy. Are you kidding me right now? You got stakes falling from the sky and you're not happy? So what does that teach us? Perspective, right? So I once heard of Revilvin from uh, KBY. Revive from Revilvin. Okay. He's a mashgiach of KBY. He said the following thing. And, I, and honestly, I, I can count on one hand the amount of different Torah that I've heard in my life that fundamentally shifted my life. This yeah, is one of them. them. And this isn't a Torah thing. This applies to any human being. He said like this. We say in Aleinu, right? At the end of every uh, prayer, we say Aleinu. We say, Bashamayim Ma'al. In the sky above, vala aret mitachas, and the, the ground beneath. So the obvious question is why the double, why the repetition? We know that the sky is above and the ground is beneath. Why couldn't it just say bashamayim in the sky, vala aret? So he said the following. I think it's, it's a beautiful thought. He said things that are bashamayim, anything that has to do with the sky, spirituality, anything that's substantial, anything that's real, always look mimal, always look above and strive to be better. Hmm. Things that are al aret, right? Wealth, health, anything that has to do with kind of physical, Right. Always look mitachas and say it could be so much, so much worse. It's all about perspective, right? You that, is, get, that is incredible. You can get that bread is. falling from the sky and you're not happy because your perspective, your lens is dirty. There's something wrong with your perspective. But the bottom line is, God forbid, you could be sick. There's always someone worse. There's always someone worse off. Appreciate what you have. You, you're breathing. Say thank you for that, right? On the other hand, you know, you're, you're trying to be a good person. There's always people out there that are doing unbelievable things. Look at them and say, I want to be better. So it's all about perspective. And that was, I think that is probably the best advice I ever got. That's brilliant. That's, that's actually fantastic. Really, I thought really so great. too. Yeah, no, I, I really like that. One more question. Sure. And, uh, actually, we have two more questions. One is a bonus question because I know you're into that. All right. But uh, the last question before the bonus question is, what do you, do you read? What books are you reading? What would you say is like the best book for an entrepreneur? Books as in like physical books? As in, what well, could be on a Kindle, but... Uh, oh, I read Jobs. That was fantastic. I, I really, I found that a very inspiring, inspiring story. Yeah, I really like Jobs. I, the truth is, I don't have, unfortunately, much time to actually read books. Right. Because I'm always... So you never read marketing books? You're not into Seth Godin or any mm, of these guys? I read Seth Godin's blog and, sometimes. Didn't Anderson have a book? I don't know. I didn't read Anderson's book. Um, I read Gary's book. Gary oh, Vaynerchuk. which one? Both. The, Both of them. Jab, Jab. Jab, Jab, right? Yeah, yeah. and um, Crush It. Crush It, yeah. He put out a third one, didn't he? Season no, he's three? not two. yet. Okay. Uh, you know, I, I don't read that often books, books. Generally, I'm reading online content. I don't have time for extra, but there's, I do have a, someone told me this week about a book I need to read and I can't even remember what it is right now. I don't remember what it is right now, but point okay. is I should read more. That's the bottom line. I should read more. Maybe I should follow. <laughs> if there's the, more time in your day, maybe. Yeah, I should follow Zuck's book club. Does that oh, yeah, book, book. yeah, does he? Does that, yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, that has actually been fantastic. So, hello, thank you very much for joining us. I really appreciate you taking the time and coming on this show. Thanks for having you me. You gave us a really incredible amount of value, and I uh, wish you to continue best of luck and let best luck and keep uh, making those matches. Thank you, sir. Thanks for having me. Take care, Hill. Thank you for listening to the From Entrepreneur Podcast with Nahum Kligman. We hope you learned something valuable and will share this with your friends. For show notes, archives of previous episodes, and more information to help you start and grow your business, please visit our website, www.fromentrepreneur.com. Listen, learn, be Masliak.